How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am your host, Chris Adams. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram, BTBN, Facebook, BTBN. Um, if you're not listening on iTunes, you can check it out under BTBN as well. Subscribe, share, like, comment, leave us a review. Um, really appreciate it. Whatever you think it is, one through five. I'm not going to tell you to give me five stars, but I, I really appreciate you guys that are going out and giving me feedback on this thing. Um, without the feedback, sometimes I just feel like I'm sitting out here in the garage talking to myself, especially during these things where nobody else is on the line. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys leaving me the feedback. If you haven't joined the closed group, type in BTBN podcast on Facebook. There's the closed group. Um, I post all the new episodes there first. I uh, ask questions. What the heck do you guys think we should do with this and that? Who do you want to see? This and that kind of stuff. And other people talk about stuff too. So it's cool. Um, I have that crazy green BTBN gray hybrid Buckeye Bro call that uh, I want to give away. I'm kicking around the idea. I've been really trying to think about it for a couple days and come up with something different, but uh, I'm thinking about throwing like a, a word in each episode, the word of the day. In each episode, you put it together, put a sentence, and then uh, when I say, go ahead and put it down, make a post or something like that in the group, you have to complete the sentence and, uh, and I don't know, like the page or something, something crazy, some, some way of giving it away. I'm really trying to be creative, but uh, also, you know, Make it enjoyable for you guys. Anyway, enough rambling on. Today I have another one, good one for you. Um, it's been an amazing to every week. Every week this thing is doubling. We're getting listeners from everywhere, just other countries, um, all over the United States. Believe it or not, Missouri, where I'm from, is not even close to the biggest state. I think Texas. We're really popular in Texas for some reason. Uh, I've only interviewed Channing. I think he's the only Texas guy, but uh, yeah, we're uh, it's growing. It's really exciting. You guys are doing a great job sharing everything, and I really appreciate that. Um, today, I've got a uh, our first north of the border guy. Um, he's the first guy that's uh, not not from the U.S. of A. So, uh, but he's all over the U.S. of A. and he he runs. He's one of the guys that helps out with call nuts. So. I'm really excited to get him on here. You guys see him posting videos all over Call Nuts all the time. He's a uh, a world class goose call maker, goose caller, I believe. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him more about you know what he's done in the past, but he's just he's he's funny guy. He's a character. He does a lot for the sport. He does a lot for call making. Um, so without any further ado, Mr. Rusty Heron. All right, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself, Chris? Oh, not too bad. Just out sweating to death out in the shop. Uh, I uh, have the girlfriend in taking clients. She's a counselor, so she's taking clients, and I am mandated to the garage for confidentiality purposes, and it is 110 degrees in here. Ouch. Yeah, you need to move to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, there's a lot more birds up there, too. I think it was like in the 60s last night, maybe even the 50s here. Yeah, bless, dude. What's yeah. the high for the day? Oh, I haven't even looked because I just got up not long ago. But 
probably low to mid 70s if i had to speculate dude that's I mean, like southern california weather right there yeah it, you know it does get hot here from time to time especially you know late june july august september um but you know hot hot for here is like 93 just the humidity here really sucks but yeah you guys it, have so it, much water yeah they're surrounded by it so that humidity makes all the difference in the world man i uh down here in Missouri, it's pretty humid where I'm at. Then I've lived way down on the Gulf Coast in Mississippi, Louisiana border, Alabama area. And, um, dude, that humidity is no joke. I had people that I was stationed with that were from, like, Arizona. And they're like, oh, it's 115 degrees at home right now. But this 98 degrees with this humidity, is no- there's nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I find it, it it's even the same in the winter here. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go experience a dry, like, air winter, it can be, like, negative 15 and you're fine. But you get anywhere that's got moisture in the air, you know, like a, a humid-type environment, and it can be minus one and you're frozen. So, What's the, like, if you're setting out decoys and stuff, you know how it is in the morning when you get to the spot you're at, you wake up. You're frozen to death. You work third, so you, you're awake at that point, and then getting dressed in the morning. You get all nice and warm, and then you get out to the field, and it's freaking cold. But you strip off all your clothes so that way you don't sweat. You know, in the dead dead of winter, and um, and then you go put everything back on just to make sure. It's always the balancing act. Like I don't want to be freezing cold putting out my decoys, but I don't want to be soaked with sweat putting out decoys and then sit down for three hours like is that something you have to fight uh we used to, we used to fight it all the time here uh, and then we got a little bit smarter and now we just put propane heat in all the blinds that we hunt whether it's a pit blind a box blind whatever and you know when we set decoys they, they set quick enough so we'll kind of go out and do it without coats on and stuff like that you know just to try not to build up a huge sweat but uh Propane heaters solve everything because you can basically be in the blind in shorts and a t-shirt and you'll be all right. So <laughs> that's dude, that's fancy living right there. Well, it's just we basically hunt almost exclusive permanent spots. I mean, they're not always you know the proverbial X fields or anything like that. But it's as you get older, the the comforts of being able to be warm in the dead of winter are kind of nice. I won't lie. Well, yeah, dude, like, that's, you know, me at 21, they're like, hey, there's a bunch of birds using this spot. I'm like, cool. And they're like, but you have to walk four miles through flooded flooded mud to get through there. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to hunt around the house, I think, and I'll shoot my three or four and be back home in time for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, I used to do a lot of that sledging, but not so much anymore. I still, I still like to do it at least once a year. Uh, an, an old friend of mine in the waterfowling world, Ricky Cole, always said, if you can make that trek once a year, you don't got to go to the doctor, you're good. So <laughs> <laughs> That is like, as I become older, man, that is like one thing that I always, when July, I've it's June now, and I got up and ran this morning. I've been running in the mornings to try to get my cardio up. Not because I want to be you know jacked and ripped or whatever it's because i don't want to die in september when i'm hauling through the mud and uh 
when I was 25, I didn't give a crap. Like, you know, it was just normal. But into my 30s, man, I'm like, I'm about to have a heart attack out here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've taken, I've got a 16-year-old son that's just completely ate up with all of this. And I've taken him to a few of the public marshes uh, that we hunt here from time to time and shown him places. I've like, I've walked from point A to point B here and he's been like, no, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't do it now if you paid me, but I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that is my favorite part about showing younger kids, you know, the teenagers and uh, 20-year-olds how to hunt and you know just passing on knowledge not only to help the sport and the tradition but god dang they work so much better and they love to do the grunt work <laughs> they're like who wants to, like oh man there's four birds out there down you know 40 yards through the mud and it's all soft bottom and stuff and they're like hold on i got it i'm like all right cool man i don't have to get out there and trudge Hey, do you know the do you know the easy way to get them motivated in case they're like ah I, I, no I think you got that one you should go get it all you got to say is I think I can see a band on its leg from here and they'll be run- <laughs> they'll be running <laughs> I I had a buddy like that that he would he turned out to be a uh, a United States champion I don't know if he's a world champion you know all the different genres of everything. But uh, he was a really good clay shooter. And he ended up becoming a a champion clay shooter. I don't know of what division. I don't know anything about shooting clays besides just shooting them. And uh, every time we go hunting with him, he's always like, I shot that one. And, you know, halfway through the season, we're like, all right, fine. We just started putting all the birds that he said he shot in front of his blind. So we get one volley, and he's like, man, I went three for three. And you can shoot three honkers here in Missouri. And we're like, okay, stacked all three honkers in front of his blind. Like, go ahead and unload your gun. You're done for the day. He's like, yep. what are you talking about? It's, you know, it's 7.05. We're like, well, you said you shot all three. You're done for the day, buddy. Yep. Thanks for coming <laughs> out. Thanks for coming out. So where are you at in Canada, brother? So for the people who don't know. So even though I'm Canadian, the, uh, the absolute best way to explain it for everybody to know where is I am 15 minutes outside of Detroit, Michigan, because everybody kind of has a rough idea where that is. So, so you're on that that little uh, peninsula area of Canada, the Toronto like peninsula thing. Uh, yeah, Toronto's four hours east of here, um, but I'm in between Lake Saint Clair, the Detroit River, and Lake Erie. I'm literally surrounded by water and any direction you can head so it's a good place to be that's for sure nice have you always lived there uh it, yeah in this general rough vicinity yep that's so, so crazy man you I, are the I, the first non-american i think i've had on here and i think you're lower in longitude than two or three other guys that i've talked to oh no kidding that's crazy <laughs> yeah I know there's a there's a national park that's like a 40, 45 minute drive from here called uh, Point Pelee, and it's the southernmost tip in Canada. So there is a chance that there's some Americans that are north of me. <laughs> I'm looking at her now. So yeah, dude, that's that's really cool. So you guys have what's that that coffee place that everybody goes to over there? Oh, Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons, man, is that like the equivalent of Starbucks, or is it better? No. Starbucks is Jesus, Tim Hortons is God. That's that's the best way that a Canadian can explain it. So, I mean, so if you're a Canadian, you, it's pretty much well. 
a given, you got to just absolutely love the game of hockey. And seeing as how Tim Horton was once a Toronto Maple Leaf in the NHL, you know, it just it just all goes hand in hand and it all ties together that it's Canada's drink. So, Is that your favorite sport other than obviously waterfowling? Uh, yes. I mean, the, the messed up part is that I don't even know how to skate, but hockey uh, with my, my two boys definitely consumed a, a very big part of my life watching them. And uh, I do enjoy watching it because I understand some of the intricacies of the game. But uh, where else can you watch, you know, people go 35 miles an hour and crash into each other and pretend like nothing happened and the play keeps going. It's it's pretty intense. That's all. So it's enjoyable because there's never a dull moment. Well, and that's the thing, you know, up in the northern states, hockey is life up in, you know, the Minnesota, the Wisconsin's and stuff like that. But down here in the mid, you know, the southern Midwest, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, stuff like that, we don't have hockey as much. And we have some like, you know, our college has a team around here. And that is my favorite. I grew up baseball was my first word. I love baseball, I love football, and I love, you know, MMA. Like, I love fighting. But hockey is by far the most fun event to watch in person. TV, a little bit harder, but in person, there is nothing better than watching hockey. Yeah, I I think uh, the only other one that would rival it would be college football as far as in person. And just because the spectacle, right, like, go over to the University of Michigan to the big house and sit there with 100,000 people watching the U of M game. It's, it's pretty special, even if you're not a football guy. So It's the atmosphere, and hockey is the only sport that there's like a code of ethics for fighting. Like baseball, if, if you hit a guy, you know that you're going to get drilled the next time around, or you know, it's going to get even. Everybody just kind of knows, but hockey, dude, it's like, you have the goons, you know, where there's, they might not even be able to skate. I, I'm really good at falling down ice skating. I, uh, I went when I was in my early 20s a lot. And then I tried to go this last year. And I was like, I felt like Bambi trying to walk for the first time. Doing a lot of, uh, holy crap, I'm about to fall over. But Hockey Dude is the only thing that there's like one specific guy that his only job is just go out there and beat the crap out of somebody. And it's, it's hilarious. Yep, yep. They gotta, they gotta make room on the ice for their stars to shine. That's, you know, it's, it, it's a twofold street. They, they do that, and then it lets the other team know that if you try and run our top guys, because your, your top guys are all skill guys, they're not tough guys, right? And if you really want to agitate a team, you try and run their skill guys, and if they don't have a good enough tough guy, well then you just run the whole team. So, But the NHL is kind of getting away from that because as with any other sport, at least in my opinion, uh, athletics is just playing that much more of a bigger role. You know, today's athlete, when you go back to when I was a kid in the 80s, you can't compare the two, you know. In the 1980s, NHL hockey players would show up to training camp smoking cigarettes with a case of beer over their shoulder or to shoot that they could hardly breathe after 10 minutes on the ice. You know, it's it's a whole different world today, and not that it's a bad thing. So, that be that. 
Well, it's a cool thing, man, because like I said, you know, I'm from the heartland of America, down south, and there's just so many guys that have no idea our, the way that Canadian culture is presented to us in America is very, it's like a caricature. Like, I'm sure there's people in Canada that are like, oh yeah, those dumb Yankees and, you know, stuff like that, but it's a, it's a caricature of the of I think what Canada is. So it's just it's always fascinating to me. I've been to a, a lot of other countries and Canada's one that I haven't got to go to yet. So it's always fascinating, man. Well you have to make the trek up and do some hunting up here or something. Valid. Well what is the uh tell me about your hunting experience up there, man. What how'd you get into it? So tracing all the way back to being just a little boy, um when I was very, very young, I can't remember the exact year that my, my dad sold it, but him and a business partner owned an outdoor store here, hunting and fishing stuff and all that. And so it's just always something I've grown up around, right, was the, the hunting and fishing aspect of, of everything. You know, my, my dad wasn't a big uh, sports person per se, like as far as adult leagues or anything like that go. You know, we played all the sports we basically wanted to as kids, but... The thing he did in his free time was he went hunting and fishing so it just became a natural progression and i i don't really know how the addiction to, to birds started but i know i can vividly say and know that i'm not lying that the very first christmas presents i ever asked for that i can recall was a duck and goose call and and i can remember that my dad got me a H81 Haydell honker call and a DR85 double reed duck call that Christmas, and I was just over the moon. And I think I made every neighbor within a four-block radius sell their house over the <laughs> next 15 years. So, like, I've just always been infatuated with everything duck and goose hunting. I, I like to fish too, but ducks and geese have always just been number one. Uh, I was the kid that we had a soccer field on the i guess it would be the the interior of our school our school was a big l shape um and the soccer field wasn't tiled or anything so if we had a good rain in the spring it would flood and i'll tell you right now if one or two ducks or geese landed in that soccer field that day i learned absolutely nothing at school because i just sat there and watched them the whole time so <laughs> and yeah. what what were you growing up like like, is it a bunch of fields there? Is it pretty common for everybody to be a waterfowler out there? Or were you kind of, like here, Missouri, you think, like, Missouri is a very big waterfowler state. But where I'm at, it's turkey hunting and it's uh, it's deer hunting. There's pretty few and far between waterfowlers. And they're like, you guys duck and goose hunt? Where the heck do you go? I'm like, man, they're everywhere. You just, just got to get out and look. Like, was it a weird thing to be a waterfowler? No, so... The wildlife management unit number here that I hunt is uh, unit 94 that just encompasses my area and pretty much well out to about an hour east of here. And it's the most heavily waterfowl hunted WMU in all of Ontario, basically all of Canada. So waterfowl hunting here, even since I was just a tiny little kid, has been huge. Um, there, ever since I can remember, big money leases on fields water everything have all been you know a very vital part of the local way things happen here so it's uh you know numbers have dropped 
as far as hunters go since I was a kid. And the more the more that land has changed ownership, I won't say the more city people that have moved out into the country because I can't back that up with any facts, so I don't want to just assume stuff. But when, when I was a kid, you could go drive the, the farm field areas and, you know, in the highly populated areas for waterfowl, and it, it'd be nothing to see 10 to 20 setups a day, just people hunting in the fields for uh, predominantly geese then, because, you know, unless the ducks were coming to a field, most people didn't really kill ducks in a dry field here pre-RoboDuck days. So, but it, it used to be crazy. It's still busy enough, but it's uh, it's not what it once used to be, that's for sure. Well, less pressure is uh, definitely a good thing. <laughs> it... Uh, it can be when you start talking about throwing big money for pits and blinds and fields it's almost a deterrent anymore for the average guy well i i suppose to to me it's a double-edged sword it's a yes but a no um so over here in canada things things are a little bit different at least here in ontario that some of these big clubs with enough land um, have acquired feed permits from way back in the day from our, our federal and provincial governments. Um, and basically it's a sanctuary um, where you can't shoot within 400 meters. Yes, that's metric uh, of this of, of this bait site. And, you know, there, there's clubs here that are six figure a year clubs. And there's plenty of people, myself included, that may not be, you know, the biggest advocates for all of this. But in the same sense, these clubs kind of congregate birds. And they definitely send the birds south in better shape than what they were when they arrived here. But you can really formulate some really good plans to traffic hunt based off knowing where the clubs are and kind of knowing where food is it's not always phenomenal hunting you know just because it's canada doesn't mean it's you know the typical western canada where it's just an absolute smash fest almost every time you go as long as you do your homework but uh you know it definitely the the average person here in my my neck of the woods doesn't need to go spend two or three or four hours trying to scout for ducks Uh, if you do it two or three times you kind of get a rough idea the general vicinities that they like to kind of just chill out on when they're here, even on, you know, migrations where they come in, rest, and then get out of here. There's still a a few general locales where they will load up just simply based on the available food and the the sanctuary aspect where they know, I mean, I don't know that a a bird ever feels safe, but they know where they aren't going to be shot at. So, you know, it's 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 a give and a take. So, you know, I, I... I've learned to love it instead of hate it because I used to hate it because I used to always say I'm never going to be that rich guy that can afford that but now I've learned to say I'm never going to be that rich guy that can afford it but I can certainly piggyback off of all of their efforts exactly so. man it's it's a it's a better way of looking at it because you know you I just use Missouri because that's where I'm from and that's you know there's a lot of controversy going with hot cropping and all that nonsense around this area of the country but uh, guys get all bent out of shape, you know, when there's flooded corn and flooded this and, you know, wildlife protection areas that are that are privately owned. And it's like, 
you know, you look at places like Vandemore's place and stuff like that that are, he's sitting on 300,000 mallards, you know, feeding or sitting in his refuge. And I'm like, okay, well, how many ducks stopped here before he started planting and taking care of the ducks and waterfowl out here? I'm like, just like any other place, they're going to go out there and they're going to stop and feed on their way through, but they're not stopping to stay. You're talking about keeping a ton of birds in your area. And uh, I would rather, like you said, piggyback off that because if you can get under them and run traffic, you know, just have the opportunity. Because here in my corner of Missouri, there's not even ducks in the area. I would kill to have a $5 million project where they harvest, you know, where they kept 200,000 mallards throughout, you know, the duck season and fed them. And because I could, I could pull numbers off of that. I could hunt around there and, you know, like you said, piggyback off of stuff, but we don't even have that type of stuff around here. And I would, I would kill for that. So it's a, like you said, a double-edged sword. They take the birds and they put them in one area. But if you're, if you can get around that area, you know, you're good. Yeah, no, for sure. And I find, you know, that I, I don't want to paint anybody with a, you know, a broad brush here, but by and large, I find for the most part, and I might be shooting myself in the foot here, but a lot of the people that complain about the quote unquote hot ponds, etc., aren't willing to just go do the legwork to make their area better, whether that be getting permission on properties that are close you know within good proximities to these places or more importantly i mean you got all these wildlife refuge areas in the united states how many people that complain about the the hot ponds actually go there and talk with the people in charge of each and every one and say what can we do to make this better what can we do to hold more birds here you know it's it's easy anymore to complain you know get on social media oh because all these hot ponds we're not getting ducks anymore well i don't buy it to, to me everything is weather related um and i i think the the biology supports all of that um and as far as all the hot crops go to me it, it as a whole and as someone that doesn't benefit from hot cropping because i don't do it at all but every time the birds are stopping on a migration route and stopping in a, a hot pond they're leaving healthier than they arrived that's a good thing I agree, man, and I agree with you on the weather. I've I've talked to a lot of guys in Louisiana and uh, a lot of guys up north. And here in Missouri, when I grew up, man, we used to get snow. You know, school would be canceled for two feet of snow, and it was just it was just part of being in the wintertime. It'd be cold, and there'd be snow on the ground. Now we get ice, and we'll have a quarter inch of snow, you know, two or three times a week. And not, it never sticks because the ground's not warm. We haven't had a good foot of snowfall since I can remember. Since since I moved back from the uh, East Coast in 2012, we've not had anything like that. And uh, it just doesn't get cold like it used to. And I think we're, you know, it's just like when you get done on a bad hunt. Everybody's like, oh, man, our hide wasn't good enough. Our decoys weren't good enough. This and that. You're just constantly looking for a reason that it didn't go right. And sometimes it just comes down to, 
It's not cold, man. It's just not in the cards. The weather is just not there. Yep. You know, I, I'm a firm believer, you know, unless you have an absolute ton of private property that you can really manage birds that you can legitimately call your own. You know, you live and die by migrations in the fall. You know, I, I don't care where you are. When they first come in, they're stupid because they don't know the lay of the land, in my opinion, and I'm not a biologist. And after they've been there a week or two, they kind of, you know, it's kind of like going to a new school. The first day at school, you're naive. You don't know anybody. But by two weeks in, you kind of know who the good kids are, who the bad kids are, who to avoid completely, etc. You know, so, but I mean, if you think of that as a, as a duck or goose, if every two weeks you're off to a new school, you know, for the first handful of days, you don't really get comfortable in your surroundings. So, yeah, I've heard that a, a lot, you know, guys where they have a lot of birds coming through that, uh, though, I, I think it was, it wasn't Tony. It was, um, I can't remember. It was another one of the big duck club guys, and they're like, we actually don't hunt our best spots on big migration days. And that's a thing. If you see in the weather, it's going to be a 20-degree temperature drop, you know, 30-mile-an-hour north winds. You know birds are going to be on the move. He's like, I don't hunt my best spots because I want them to get there and get comfortable. And he's like, I would rather have, you know, 10 good hunts on a good front rather than one really epic day because you're letting them get comfortable in your area rather than blowing them out their very first day there. So that makes sense. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I mean, to today's generation of, of hunters, especially the youth coming up, you know, by and large, it's all about that picture they get to post on social media. And not that there's, there's nothing wrong with that mentality, especially because the average individual generally gets to hunt the weekends, you know, maybe, maybe one day during the week. And so there's, there's, there's never much of a save it for tomorrow mentality. You know, the, Hey, we, we shot into three groups this morning. You know, the limit between three of us is 18. We're at 15. Hey, let's just get out of here. That way, you know, the next 20 groups can get in here and get comfortable and we can come back for two weeks straight and, you know, beat them up. Or, hey, we, we headed to the marsh in the morning. At first light, it was chaos. And we shot 20 ducks between four of us real quick. Well, what happens if you just let the marsh blow out for half an hour and then sit back and pick them off a little bit later in the morning, one and two at a time? Yeah, and that's something, man, that, you know, even around this area, we don't have a lot of birds that uh, we ran across, we hunt an area of a lot of ag fields around my city, and there's not a lot of ag in this part of Missouri, but we have a, a pretty good resident honker population that will, you know, kind of pick and choose, let them feed on a field for a while and then get in there and hit them, and then we'll wait for them to move to the next field and, you know, wait a few days and then jump on them then and just kind of keep rotating. And we've been doing it for years, man. We, you know, it's they're frustrating as all hell and uh but it's a lot of fun you know we'll shoot our 10 12 bird days and just kind of wait for it to be good and then we had a guy who actually got access to the roost lake and we met him out on the road while we were scouting one day and we're like hey man what's going on he's like oh i'm looking at this lake that these 600 honkers are on which is 
an ungodly number around here. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to hunt there in the morning. We're like, what if you don't? (laughs) What if we let you hunt with us for the rest of the year, next year, whatever you want to do, and we'll pick them off 10 or 12 at a time, you know, 15 at a time, and we'll teach you the right way to do it rather than getting in here and blowing up this roost in one day. And he had absolutely zero interest, went in, banged out three honkers the next day, and those birds have never been back. And it's been years. And I'm like, dude, you ruined this great, great area that we've scouted and put so many miles into because you wanted to shoot three honkers one day. (laughs) Yeah, I... I won't lie, I've seen it happen a million times, and you, you can't ever be mad at somebody because everybody's different, right? You know, they say if you're the, if you're the weekend warrior, you know, if, if that label fits the way you generally hunt, you, you might not understand that, you know, going in there and shooting them is just going to blow them out and change everything. Um, and, and you can't blame somebody for wanting to have a good hunt, but it definitely uh, it's definitely a hard pill to swallow when it happens to you. And one of my favorite ways to hunt here is to find a small X field and get permission in it and never actually hunt it. And run traffic off of it? Just get in between them and let them keep going there until the day that I can't be in between them anymore. So, yeah, because I'd rather have, you know, you go in on an X hunt. You have an absolute smash-up hunt as long as you hide well. That's really about all that matters if you're on the place they want to be, whether it's water or a field. But if I can have 10 mediocre hunts instead of one smash-up, I'll take the 10 mediocre hunts. Oh, yeah, dude. Any time. Like, that's, you know, to to guys that, you know, like, like you're saying, you know, it, it's a no-brainer to... I think a lot of people, but that whole picture generation, and like you said, you can't blame them. And the pictures are what get new hunters out there and keep, you know, if if you're on that hunt and it's your first hunt of the season or it's your first year hunting and you just go on an absolute banger. It happened to one of my really, really good buddies. The very first hunt he went on, we had a four-man limit in under three minutes and we had birds landing on us as we're picking up decoys and i mean it was just one for the record books that i'll remember forever and i told him when we got back to the truck i was like this does not happen like the, you're gonna have 50 really mediocre hunts waiting for another one of these to happen so like cherish it but he's he's a waterfowler for life because of it so i can't i can't blame anybody that wants to have that hunt but it, it's like you said, the guys that have been doing it long enough that I'm not worried about the picture. I don't. I don't care. It's just about being out there, and I want to. I'm not going to go out there if there's nothing worth going out for. Like if you're just seeing nothing, birds aren't moving all day long. Like if I want to go have fun with my buddies, I'm just going to stay in the shop. Hey, come over. We'll make calls and hang out and have a few drinks. Like I'm not going to go out and watch each other we can watch the sunrise together but if there's absolutely nothing coming you know like <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be out there for that i want there to be a little bit of chance for something gotcha yes yeah i'm probably the exact polar opposite 
I don't care if I know I'm in the absolute middle of nowhere with about a 0% chance of seeing anything. I'd still rather be out there because you just never know. That's when you see, to me, when you don't know and, you know, it's left to nothing but a guess, that's when you see the cool stuff. The stuff that you only see, you know, once or twice in your lifetime while you're hunting. So, like, we don't see uh, speckle-bellied geese here. I can honestly say I've never seen one while hunting. I know a handful of buddies here that have, you know, gotten lucky and saw them and shot them here. Um, but even snow and blue geese, by and large, like, every now and then you'll see a, a single or a pair mixed in with a flock of Canada's. But on those crazy wild days where nobody wants to go because it's going to suck and nothing's been moving, that's when you go out and you see... 200 snows and blues come over and you're like man if i just stayed home i'd have never saw that yes so. it's definitely a give and take man so it, it's it's loving it's the love for being out there like i don't know i just have other stuff it's if i know there's no birds moving in the area if there's nothing worthwhile and i can stay home and play with the kids instead that morning like you know it's just it's the give and take but uh you know, it's that's that's hunting, and I feel like it it just changes. Like being twenty years old, I'm going out regardless. I don't care if there's two feet on the ground and I have to walk in on a dirt road for ten miles. You know, like it's like I'm gonna go, and this is gonna be stupid, but I'm gonna go. The older I get, I'm like, eh, I can. I don't have as much free time anymore. I can give. You know what I mean? It, you can give a little more time to something else. Sure, sure. Yep, I got you. So, so let's talk uh, away from hunting a little bit. How'd you get into, you were a competition caller for a while, weren't you? Yeah, in, in the early 2000s, maybe even late 90s, uh, I traveled all over doing uh, goose calls and actually a little bit of duck calling here in Canada. I was never really that good on a duck call, but seeing as how I was there, I figured why not learn how to do it a little bit. I, I still say I'm a hack on a duck call at best, but uh, yeah, I traveled the a lot in the u.s um and had a boatload of fun doing it met a lot of lifelong friends and you know it really just fueled a, a passion e even bigger than i could have imagined you know for everything to to do with with calls and calling and everything and it was something i always wanted to be a part of and then uh got married and had kids and Anybody that has kids knows just how much that changes everything, for the most part, by and large. Uh, not, <laughs> right. not, not in a bad way. Just different. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so, you know, I kind of, my, my talent level had kind of peaked anyways as far as the contest calling goes. I, I'm a pretty firm believer, especially on the goose side, you got to have young lungs. Um, the amount of air it takes to run a good competition call, at least back then, was insane. And my lungs were ready for a timeout. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you just know when it's your time to hang it up, and it was time. So, you know, I'd go from being a contest caller on the weekends to being a, a dad on the weekends, which is good and lots of fun. And uh, then my kids kind of all ended up being grown to where they didn't need mommy and daddy all the time, and going to hang out with their friends was cooler than hanging out with mom and dad. And I was like, man, I kind of think now would be a good time to, you know, maybe start tinkering around with calls a little bit. And I threw that idea around in my head for a little bit. And I was always leery to bite the bullet and do it because I won't lie, I, you know, 
for 20 years I've known how to blow a goose call, but I never really knew, you know, how the manufacturing process would uh, would go or, you know, how difficult it could be. And then in uh, it was January or February of 2016, uh, I go away every winter when we have good ice here over to Michigan and fish a big ice fishing tournament. And uh, it's a two-man team. You catch eight bluegill and eight crappie. And my partner and I were lucky enough to win it. It's called the Midwest Open, put on by Knudsen's. And uh, it paid 20000 American to win. There's, there's four of us that go over. We rent a cottage on whatever lake the tournament's on that year and just kind of make it a guy's trip. And we've always had the gentleman's agreement that, you know, if we ever win, we just split it up. And uh, so I took my winnings from that and came home, and I'm like, okay, I just made five grand having fun. What can I do with this five grand that's going to keep being fun? Because I'm like, yeah, sure, you can come home and put it on the mortgage, put it in the bank, but that's boring. <laughs> I so, agree, man. <laughs> so, you know, I've been on uh, call nuts from, from day one, and I'm like, you know what? How hard can this be? I think I can hack this. Let's have some fun. Let's go buy all the stuff I need to get started. Yeah, well, that five grand disappeared real quick. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, and I honestly, I mean, I asked eight million questions in the beginning. I still ask questions today. I can honestly tell you I didn't have a clue where to start as far as making a call went. Not a clue. If it wasn't for for everything that Steve Carter's built there and the, the, the membership, you know, Steve provided the platform for everybody to, to come together. Um, then he'll be the first person to try and direct credit away from him. But there are so many call makers that owe him just the hugest, hugest, hugest grit of attitude, attitude, whatever. I can't even speak English. Um, guys owe him large for what he's done especially for the small shop call maker because his little brainstorm idea of starting call nuts has just blown this little world right up to what it is now today so well it's amazing because you know you had you know a few different outlets before that that were just so small and um you know you had like tho nobody's been on forums in quite a long time so call nuts brought everybody together and the progression of guys i mean like you said you've been doing it four and a half five years and your stuff is is world champion level and you have a bunch of guys that you know like michael meredith who never turned a call before five years ago and he likes it when I give him his shout-out per episode. And I'll throw Eric Ostevic in there because he likes to – it's their own little drinking game they have to hear when I mention them every episode. But <laughs> you have guys that – they touch duck calls, but they never made anything before this congregation of some of the best call makers in history are all together. And I can, I can send you a message and say, hey, what do you think if I need help on my goose call? Or – Hey Brad, how you know what about this? What do I need to do to get this kind of depth? Like, what tools and stuff should I go out and work, or how do I get to this point? Hey, hey Stelsner, you know I have I have a little bit of problem. Like, it's just this congregation of like-minded guys, and it's really 
you talked with people on a daily basis that you never otherwise would have talked through or talked to, except maybe on like hunting shows or something like that. But it is, man. It's a great congregation. It's the greatest collection of call makers probably ever because most of the guys that were on THO moved over to call nuts. So it, it's so important to the call making community for sure, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to see the way people interact now because it, if I rewind back to the contest days of mine, you know, call makers didn't share anything back then. You know, you had your little clique of pro staffers. They pretty much, well, didn't talk to anybody else's pro staffers. It was, it was crazy times, really. And uh, now, nobody has pro staffers. Everybody talks to everybody. Anybody will help anybody. And look at how much further along the sport has gotten. It's to me, it's huge. So, man, and I think that's like I. If you've listened to any of the other podcasts, I, I get on my soapbox about it a lot and almost romantic about it. But the callmakers, dude, it's it's a brotherhood, and it's it's we're all doers. I've said it on a bunch of different podcasts. We're a bunch of guys that are like, hey. I have a couple extra bucks in my pocket. I've kind of always wanted to make a duck call. And instead of talking themselves out of every reason that you shouldn't do it, everybody's a guy that went out there and they just did it. And they're like, hey, I sucked for a long time, but I went out there and I did it. And now I, I learned. And that's why I think we all relate to each other so well. You just don't see the drama in call making that you see in so many other competitive avenues out there. That it's it is a special thing, man. Once you're in, you're in. Like it's it's a very unique unique arena for everybody. Yeah, I think by and large, because I'm a firm believer that it doesn't matter what you do in life, you'll always have haters. And I'm not the guy to sit there and think on negative stuff like that all the time by any stretch. But you know, by and large. You know, let's take this call nuts classic that's going on right now. So I sent a duck call in. And I can tell you that if that duck call beats Brad Samples, Mike Stell's nerve, and a whole list of others, they're going to be the first guys to reach out to me and be like, hot damn, look what you did. That's awesome. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and 20 years ago, they'd be like, Oh, that guy must have copied so and so, or blah 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 blah. You know, like there's the amount of love that the guys have for each other. And uh, I just want to put this in here. I'm not saying my duck call is going to beat anybody, <laughs> but I, I, you know, like we're all each other's biggest cheerleaders. You know, like that's that's one of the best parts about this this whole community. You know, I can when we're done with this podcast here, I can get on the phone call my brother Alan Whitson in Arkansas and you know we can talk calls or Coors Light or whatever for hours and I could get off with him and call Brad Samples over in the Carolinas and see what's going on with him you know it's it's just crazy how much people are so willing to help each other nowadays you know I think everybody even the ones that take it very seriously business wise understand that there's sales in this for absolutely everybody that wants to be a part of it and 
and that nobody is really a threat. At least that's the way I see it. And I say threat lightly because what I mean by threat is, you know, Ernie Ross isn't taking away my goose call sales just like I'm not taking away any of Ernie Ross's goose call sales. You know what I mean? Like, so for Ernie and I to collaborate on any kind of issues we might have, you know, it's not, you don't, you don't feel like you're giving away the caramel secret to anybody because nobody's really a direct competitor, if that makes any sense. Yeah, dude, it makes absolute sense. And, and when you see guys that are in the same field of view, you know, call making, goose call making, duck call making, man, if I see somebody put out something that is just new or new to them, I get inspired, man. I see, you know, a Brad throw something out or even Channing throws something out, like his checker. The dude, he told me for freaking months, I hate checkering. I don't have the steady hands for it, blah, blah, blah. Well, now he's all about the freaking checkering and I'm like, Instead of being jealous and being like, oh, man, I wish I could check her. It's like, dude, I want to get my own set now. Like, that's how it, it's an inspiration more than a jealousy thing for most of the guys out there, man. Yo, I, I couldn't agree more with, with that exact statement. It, it definitely it is a driving force to making everybody better. I mean, shoot, just look at what, what Mr. John did, John Stevens at R&T, with Callapalooza this year, with the, the call makers build-off there. Look at how many people, whether you were in attendance there to watch that go down, or whether you just kind of followed along online. You know, if you look at Call Nuts pre-Callapalooza to Call Nuts post-Callapalooza, the amount of insane custom-built calls has just skyrocketed as far as guys pushing themselves to limits they've never been to and achieved before. And it's awesome. It's exactly one of the, the, the big hitting points that I think John Stevens wanted to make with Call of Blues is to get call makers inspired to try more. Not do better, but to try more, to push the envelope, to, to have them learn a, a bigger skill set in call making because as you see all these skill sets coming out of the woodwork now you certainly get a much bigger appreciation for the call makers of the past and the tools they actually had to use to do some of this stuff like when you look at these calls from the early 1900s you know even up to like say 1950 you know when you see all these braised checkered panels they didn't have Dembart checkering tools back then. They had files they ground down and, you know, kind of figured out how to, you know, make those patterns, by and large, the extreme hard way. It's like stuff guys nowadays wouldn't even fathom thinking of attempting. That's how crazy the craftsmanship was back then. And so with Mr. John doing what he did with Call of Palooza, it, it, it's really brought people back to some of those those roots granted with 21st century technology as far as the tooling goes but it's bringing all those traits from the past back alive again and i just think it's absolutely awesome i've learned so much you know i i can't thank john and what he did with Callapalooza enough it's awesome i agree man and it's some of what you're talking about the the things from the past i told uh, ron davis a couple weeks ago when we did one of these and i was like man and he, he hit me up after me mentioning it on another podcast. But uh, 
he was like, oh, really? My calls look like they're from 1920s. And I was like, no, you can't tell the difference between the classic style shapes, the brickwork, some of the freaking checkering that people are doing. It reminds me of those old classic calls. And I feel like there was a lull for a long time in duck calls where it was just about doing the craziest polycarb colors or flames or skulls or, you know, just that kind of set for a long time and there was always the custom guys that were doing these these handcrafted pieces of art but you get a ron davis call an ernie ross call you know and that stuff is going to be passed down from generations because it's a piece of artwork you know i'm not going to go pick up said 30 dollar polycarb with you know red and purple glitter sparkles and flames on it and hand it to my grandson and say, I use this for 25 years. Now that's great if that's what people want to learn on, but like you're saying, it's the differential between artwork and something that you're just out there using that's almost more disposable. And uh, it's really, really cool to see guys coming up with that classic stuff that people have been doing for 100 years and taking their own take onto it and pushing the art of call making because it, that's what it is to me like i said it's it's artwork and they're pushing that in their own taste and flair and doing different things you know just a little bit different but keeping the tradition alive it i don't i don't it's something i don't know if a lot of guys do it you know overseas i'm sure there's guys over in europe that are doing the same thing new zealand stuff like that but it's that and you're canadian so I, I don't know. Does Americana apply to Canada Canadians too? A hundred percent Americana and American folk art. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that a, a lot of people actually take for granted and never really, you know, put a whole lot of thought into, is that a hundred years from now, all of these people that are making calls right now, they're the next Beckharts. They're the next Purdue's. You know, they're the next Chick Majors. They're the next Butch. People just can't fathom that because, for lack of a better term, all this well and we're all alive. You know, but one day, none of us are going to be here. But if we built a good enough call, a bunch of our calls are going to be here. So, you know, and it's not about value, at least not to me. Uh... I've always said, you know, now that I'm as deep into this as I am and have the the love for making calls that I do, you know, a perfect world for me will be 30, 40 years after I'm gone one day that one of my grand or great grandkids, hopefully knock on wood, uh, goes to hunt a public marsh somewhere and some older guy walks in with a lanyard on and one of my calls is sitting on it and hopefully you know my grandson or great-grandson will recognize it and you know i just think that'd be pretty cool you know yeah man you're, you're, you're building you're your legacy for a short time but you can keep your name going and you know the, the things you represent and love forever if you do it right exactly so. that's uh channing was talking about it how when he was talking about building calls and he's he said it perfectly that he wanted to build heirloom duck calls Something, you know, like an old chest or something like that that has been passed down in the family or an old shotgun. 
it's been passed down in the family. It's something that's heirloom, something that means something. And it's as good a hundred years from now as it ever was. You know, that's, yeah. it's so important. It's your legacy. Yeah. It's, uh, for me now, it's, it's definitely one of my biggest focuses, you know, and that might sound a little odd to some, but what I can leave behind, even though I'm only 43, is definitely a, a driving force, you know. So, I agree, brother. That, 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 that's just where a lot of my focus is, I guess. You know, I, I'm a guy that doesn't have a dad anymore, and uh, it's nice when you hear stories from other people about your dad that you never knew. Um, and so, I can only hope that one day when I'm gone, you know that my family gets to hear stories from others about me that hopefully are good. So. Well, yeah. And you, your son is, uh, he started blowing competition calls too, hadn't he? Uh, a tiny little bit. Uh, little Benny's called a little bit, but he's also 16. So he's a, he's a teenager by and large. So it's like, you know, he's tinkered in the shop and built a small handful of calls now. And, uh, He's seen the success of, you know, building a decent call and being able to sell them and, you know, go buy video games with the money, etc. But I've had a, a bunch of people, not not like a million or anything, but he's had enough interest that I could have taken a bunch of orders on his calls for him. And I tell everybody no. And, you know, even he's like, well, why won't you take an order for me, Dad? And I'm like, because you're a kid and I want you to be a kid first and a call maker or a contest caller and everything else second, third, and fourth, and fifth right now. You know, if he wants to take off with his buddies for three weeks on end doing God knows what, I want him to not feel obligated to get his butt in the shop and have to make something for somebody under pressure. And You know, if he loves it, he'll be drawn to it as he continually gets older here and then you know he can decide what he wants to do from there but for now i just i want it to be nothing but fun for him so that's i couldn't said it any better myself man um all right so i've had channing on here a few times tell me about this this nwtf nonsense craziness gone on from your side of things to the greatest goose call maker this world's <laughs> seen. It's really funny because Channing, we've talked about it, me and him talk all the time, but uh, he talked about it a lot and you were making videos on call nuts and just being silly and stuff like that. And he's like, you wouldn't believe how many people that hit me up that think Rusty is mad at me or the worst enemies. And I'm and he's like, that couldn't be farther from the truth. People have no idea what's going on. And I catch the sarcasm coming from your videos. It's pretty evident. But people are like, oh, man, they're, they're big heated rivals now. And he just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. But let me tell you, I, I learned pretty quickly that some people that I thought were friends of mine are actually enemies over all over all of that ordeal Channing and I have always known from day one that you know it's just been me having a ton of fun and quite honestly the whole any press is good press mentality in business is true so Channing came out of that on the plus side not the bad side oh god um, yeah and, he told me he, that he wasn't going to sell any calls 
He's like, I'm not going to make a single goose call because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I said, but you better figure it out because there's dollars to be made. And if you want, you're doing this for a living, man. And uh, strike while the iron's hot because next year, I don't know if you're going to, if you're going to get that one again, buddy. Yep. And that's pretty much the same conversation I had with him. So, um, you know, I blew his call at the NWTF. It ran awesome. I have, there, there, there's there's no legitimate honest grudge here towards any of that you know like that's pe- people think that i was mad you know when it happened i just said okay i don't want to talk about it the <laughs> end you know because i've let contest results bother me in the past it had nothing to do and has nothing to do with channing at all but whether I win a contest or lose a contest is not life-changing, life-altering, or whatever. But if you lose a contest you don't expect to lose, it can certainly be mind-altering. And I don't ever want to be upset over not winning something ever again for the rest of my life. There's just way better things to focus on. But Channing and I went back and forth. I'm like, I'm going to have some fun with this just because it's too good not to have fun with. And he's like, all right. I said, just know, like, right from day one, I love you, man, and we're just having fun, so don't ever get butt hurt. And he's like, oh, I won't. We're good. He's like, I'll give it back. I'm like, perfect. Let's have some fun then. Well, from the sidelines, it was – dude, it's just so funny. Like, it to to have him win that con- – he's like, oh, yeah, it's like Buster Douglas coming out and knocking out Mike Tyson. And I said, no. No, it's like somebody who came in off the streets and never thrown a punch came in and knocked out Mike Tyson. I said, Channing, you called it a freaking Canadian goose. It's like, number one, it's a Canada goose. And he's like, oh, we call it. He's like, I've only seen like three or four in my life. And I was like, you're only adding to the fact of why I find this hilarious. I was like, all props to you. Keep your trophy, wear your ring. Like, I would wear that sucker every damn day for a year. But uh, he he knows it's it's I don't I would rather lose like that because it's something that's memorable. Like you'll always look back at that and just be like, "This is the funniest damn thing," and uh, rather than just losing by a, a half a point to somebody, you know. That's, oh yeah. That's just another yeah, one no, in and, the filing book. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. And, and honestly, hats off to him. You know, like. How can you dislike somebody or, or be disgruntled or whatever? Hats off to him. He built a great goose call. You know, it's, it's when, when it all boils down to it, whether, you know, if people want to be, you know, hurt, upset, you know, bitter, whatever. You know what? There was all kinds of judges with more than enough skill. And he won. You don't win. I mean, could luck play a part on his end of the build? Heck, maybe. I don't know. But I'll tell you, I can say without one word, without one ounce of doubt, I blew his call. I blew my two calls. His call deserved where it finished. And I have no problems looking anybody dead in the eye and saying that. So... You know, the only thing I'll be able to hold over his head forever, and I will always tease him on it, is congratulations, Channing. You won the first contest Mike didn't enter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and one of the best things about that is 
you know, you, he might have got the win, but you got you guys probably became a lot better friends. Oh yeah, throughout the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And now you yeah. have a lifelong friend and a funny story to look back on. That oh, 100%. 20 years from now, you'll you'll meet up at NWTF or Real Foot or something like that and give each other a hard time about it. Oh, for sure. For and sure. We've got we've got a bet going right now with the Call Nuts Classic, a bunch of us. So, you know, I'm hoping I can eke, eke that bet went out and uh, be able to make fun of them. So. <laughs> What's the bet on that one? So, at the NWTF, Brad Samples... Ryan Douglas, Channing, Will Shelley, Michael Meredith, Domingo Sanchez, and myself all entered calls in both the duck and short read goose category. Now, for any listeners that that don't understand what's going on here, because there were some that didn't get it on, on call nuts, and understandably so, all of us basically specialize in making one call the majority of the guys all make duck calls i make goose calls so for us it was odd stepping out of our elements per se and so the the bet was whatever call maker finishes the highest wins well sadly we never actually got all the results to figure out who actually finished highest between the two because what we were going to do is say you took first in the duck and third in the goose your total score would have been four right one plus three so that that lowest total was going to be the winner but so we came up well not we me fun police came up with the (laughs) idea that this call nuts classic duck call contest the same group minus Domingo because Domingo's obviously not entering because he's going to be the head caller to uh, run all these calls uh, would, would enter a bet and the loser, so the, the individual that builds the duck call that gets the fewest likes is going to have to wear a shirt. It's originally slated for real foot. Um, I don't know how many people are actually going to go now that the CCA has uh, pulled out of the event as far as the contest goes. But it's basically the loser at the next good function where everybody's going to be in attendance has to wear a shirt for the entire time that says on the front i lost the call nuts classic bet and then on the back out of all of us that beat this individual it's going to say these guys are my heroes and all of our names for the guys (laughs) that beat beat the call so so i worked pretty hard on a duck call um, and I'm not saying it's any, it's any good. I'm not going to say it's bad because I'm actually pretty happy with it. Um, but I really, if I lose the bet, it's really going to just be fun, right? So it's not, you know, nobody's going to go broke over or whatever, but somebody's going to get poked at for an entire weekend about losing a bet. That's all. It's all just in good fun. We we all love each other and we'd do anything for anybody. So. And like I said, man, that's, that is what's so great about the call making community is that type of stuff the fun the the meetups the real foots the nwtfs the eastons the the fun stuff that it's community it's not just the guy out there because i feel you know sometimes i'll be out in my shop and i'll be out there by myself and it's the wee hours of the morning and it's a very individualized thing but then you go to all these meetups and it's a bunch of you know like you said introverts 
and uh, individuals coming together because we all have the same mindset or a very similar mindset. And it, it's, I don't know, it's just a real special place, man. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with with that. Um, I, I think that's it to a T. You know, I, I've been asked a bunch of times, what's the draw for me to want to go to Real Foot, Tennessee as I'm not a duck call maker? And my simple answer is, that's where all my friends are. Exactly. Exactly. So, to hang out with your friends. Yeah, and that's, you know, like I'm very... I've had varying opinions over the years about contests. I, I, I'd be lying and full of it if I told you otherwise. Um, but I'd like to think I've kind of come full circle as far as all my feelings and the, the right way to approach it. You know, you'll never see me really be anti any contest because that's just a great excuse to jump on an airplane and go see all my friends. So, I love you it, know, man. whether you're... you're you're to the right or to the left as far as uh, agreeing or disagreeing with how any contest potentially is ran or run. You know, every contest that they have is a, is a reason for you to be able to jump on a plane, jump in the car, walk on over and, and see all your like-minded buddies. And, you know, that to me is, is everything I've made friends that I know I'm going to have friends for life out of this call making venture that I would have never had without it and honestly there there's some of the uh i guess for lack of a better term because we're all grown adults but there's some of the best friends a guy can have because you share so many common interests you know like i've got my my real close buddies here but i'm the only one that you know likes to go stand behind the lathe for eight hours and think nothing of it you know so it's nice being able to talk with that with the guys that have that same passion it's. Uh, I don't know that I'd ever want to be a full-time call maker because I don't know that the grind uh, of being a full-time call maker wouldn't wear some of the passion down. But I can tell you, it, it's bizarre now. I've worked for Chrysler for 20 years, and the thought of just waking up and having to go to work a lot of days is just a drag. But if you dangle that carrot in front of me and say, here's your chance, you can go work in your shop for 16 hours instead, I'll take that any day of the week because I don't even feel like I'm in there 10 minutes. The next thing you know, the 16 hours is up. It's crazy how uh, how when you get so wrapped up into something, time literally just flies and you don't ever feel like you're working. And that's uh, so. that's one thing that I've said on, on past podcasts and just talking with different buddies is – it, it really is. Guys who are call makers are somebody that they went waterfowl hunting and they fell in love with it. Guys that are call makers, dog trainers, competition callers. We do it because the love for waterfowling and just surrounding your life with it and it being a bigger part of your life than just 90 days a season, 60 days a year. And it's like, you know, you can spend all weekend out making calls or working with dogs or, you know, doing whatever it is that you're doing in the off season. And it is. It's just a passion that it feels like it's fun. I mean, there's there's frustrating call times with doing all of that stuff and times where you feel pressured and not pressured. But uh, it's just the passion, man. It, it, it's it's just special. That's all. You know, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about it, but it, it's just special. And it's... Uh, it's a very important part of my life, and I'm sure your life. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it definitely consumes a, a very vast majority of my life for sure. It's uh, 
you know, it's it's my stress relief. It's my stress maker. It's <laughs> it's it, it's all of the above. I mean, hey, it's you know, there there's some days that I go in that shop and I just have to turn whatever I feel like turning instead of turning in order, uh, etc. Et you know, just to clear your head because it's you know that that shop time. That's for lack of a better term. That's my little that's my little chunk of paradise. You know, that's. I can be in the worst mood in the world and go out there and start turning something and immediately everything just gets better. So, and that's one of the biggest reasons, you know, you, you'll see me on call nuts. I'll always say I hate turning acrylic. And it's not that I actually hate the process of turning acrylic. I just know that from the time I put the first drill bit into that piece of acrylic to the time it's done, I know exactly what that call is going to look like when it's done. It's acrylic. It doesn't really change. Yeah, the odd time you, you turn a pearl call and you might find a new pearl swirl in it. But, you know, you take a piece of yellow cedar burl and put it on the lathe that has only a few eyes and you're kind of disappointed in the piece of wood. You wish you'd have bought a better piece and then you turn it and all of a sudden it's got a hundred eyes. You know, it, it, that's why I love turning wood so much is because with each pass of the tool down down the, the call you're working on, everything has the ability to change on it and in it. You know, sometimes you uncover a nightmare and sometimes you uncover some of the prettiest stuff you've ever laid your eyes on. And that that's why I'm always going to be drawn to turning wood over anything. It's just because of that constant change. It's, uh, I don't know, it just kind of, soothes the soul here i guess you would say it's exciting the call's already in there you're just uh you're waiting to waiting to uncover it man yeah you're, you're hoping to let it out without issue <laughs> <laughs> right and try to figure the heck out if it does and the best part about wood calls is if you let it out and find out it's got too many issues well you can always heat the shop with it come the winter time <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a perfect way to end it, brother. And uh, I know it's your morning time going on. And uh, I appreciate you waking up this morning and uh, giving me some time, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. For sure, Chris. I, I appreciate the invite. It, uh, it was a lot of fun for me. And, you know, it was good getting to know you a little bit better, too. So. Yeah, brother. It's crazy. I was like, I'm going to hit up Rusty because I really need to get him on there. And I was like, I'm not even friends with him on Facebook. Like, I see you on Call Nuts all the time 24 7 and different comments and exchanges and i was like how the hell am i not even friends with him on facebook so i was like oh i gotta hit him up and get this thing done i guess i'm just not chanting i guess all <laughs> i gotta say <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll get a kick out of that i'm sure oh i guarantee it <laughs> all right brother well i appreciate it and i hope you have a, a good evening of work and uh get to spend some time in the shop Thanks, sir. You too. All right, buddy. Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. That was Rusty Heron. Uh, another great one, man. He, you guys see him on call nuts all the time. He gives up so much of his time for uh, call makers and call making, and he's just got a lot of insight and a lot of thoughts about the, you know, the art form. Don't get caught up in the drama. Don't get caught up in all the the nonsense going on. He just uh. He's a really interesting guy, and uh, I love his outlook on call making. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure to share BTBN. 
Um, subscribe, like, leave us some reviews, join the closed group, do all that normal stuff I always ask you guys to do. Um, gonna give away that call. I don't know. <sighs> Get on the closed group. Leave me an idea of how you want it done. Okay? So, uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. It was an, another fun one for sure. And, uh, yeah, have a good night. Falling down like rain on a cold